Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Cavaliers. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Locked On Cavaliers, the official Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Chris Manning, from Fear the Sword and Hardwood Paroxysm, and today I'm joined by one of my colleagues over at Fear the Sword. He's the managing editor at Fear the Sword. It's David Zavok. David, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Uh, It's good to have you back on the show, and we're going to talk today about something, or a player, rather, that uh, you and I both, I I would say it's fair to say we're fans of. And he's, I think, in a weird way, I think he's the Cavalier that draws, the, at least right now, that draws the most uh, overall kind of variety of takes from basketball Twitter and the, and the basketball writing community at large, and that's Kyrie Irving. Um, he is, in a lot of ways, the future of the Cavaliers. He's the guy that set up the Cavaliers the, when LeBron left the first time after they were just lucky enough to get him in that draft. And you know he how he was a he obviously played a huge part in them winning an NBA title because he hit uh he hit the shot that sealed the Cavs' win and helped them came back from three one against the Warriors like he and he had a pretty overall good postseason but uh, and here to talk with David about this because we've been we talk in G chat and one of the things that we he didn't think has been talked about enough uh, was Kyrie's playoff so David um you look at this this that playoff run for Kyrie. Uh, do you have any ta- like just general takeaways from it that you think maybe haven't been discussed enough and would have sort of been a very LeBron-centric, and deservedly so, LeBron-centric post-title run? Um, I think, you know, if, if you go, um, you know, if you, if you really want to take things, you know, I guess to my the, the furthest thing that I, I've sort of started to think about in the wake of the Cavs uh, run it's that uh, the way that we sort of um, want offenses to look is coloring or changing or sort of um, it's leading to almost bad analysis um, in terms of how we talk about um, players around the NBA, but but specifically maybe point guards and specifically how people score Um I think when we see Kyrie Irving dribble for 10 to 15 seconds, um, a lot of people have issues with that, and they think that um, the only way to have an efficient offense in the NBA is to move the ball around consistently. Um, And Kyrie Irving sort of of challenges that notion um, in terms of, he does things that make it almost impossible to have a bad offense, but he does it in a way that looks like it should be bad offense. Um, and I, I know that's that that you know that, that's a lot of words, but he never turns the ball over. And you know, I'm sort of 
you know, maybe you know, exaggerating, but to make the point hyperbole, but he very rarely turns the ball over. He shoots overall efficiently, um, and he shoots a lot. Uh, um, so he, you know, he controls the ball for a long period of time. He takes a lot of shots. He makes them at an efficient clip, and he doesn't waste possessions. Um, so it, it's just hard for me to imagine an offense where Kyrie Irving is not really productive offensively, even if you don't get that, uh, you know, ball movement that you know you sort of want or or sort of idealize. And I, I think I think there's just some holes in the way that that people analyze what he does. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, and I think there there are critiques of Kyrie that I think are fair. Um, I think there are times where he does over dribble and get he puts himself in these situations where he has to make these really hard shots. But when he's and this is frankly most of the time when he's super engaged, when he's being concise with his dribbles, when he's attacking, when he's just kind of relying on his skills and not just kind of going through the motions a little bit, he is freaking spectacular. Like there are, for my money, there are very few players in the league that are as fun to watch uh, as Kyrie when he gets going, and he's one of the. He's he's to me in a way he's the uh, the next generation version of Lamelo in the term not in terms of position obviously but he's this aesthetic where he's clearly really really good and he's clearly good at a few things but he frustrates people because he doesn't always play in this way that people would think would maximize his talent. Um, but the thing with Carmelo obviously has been that he dribbles too much, that he is an Olympic mellow all the time. And with Kyrie, it's that he over dribbles and he's playing all this isolation. But I think you're hitting on the point here is that the I would argue this, the Cavs really were not set up to really be a team that swings the ball around and moves it and does all this stuff. They need to do it to an extent because you can't really, you become really, really easy to defend when you run a ton of iso ball. But as you wrote about like two weeks ago, do you? that, well, I think at times you do when you're being lazy with it. And you wrote about this, which is what I'm getting at. But it's like, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing thing. It's not as, like, when the Cavs are having a bad shooting night and Kyrie and LeBron are both struggling to create their own shots or struggling to score out of the pick and roll, I mean, it's, it isn't always as fun to watch as a team like the Warriors or something that's swinging the ball around and, like, hitting all these crazy threes. But at the same time, it is, it is also just really effective when it's really good. And, again, the Cavaliers won a title playing this way. Is this a terrible analogy? Um, you know, for a long time in baseball, uh, walks were undervalued, um, and strikeouts were considered, you know, awful. This terrible thing that that you could do, um, and there was this bias against guys uh, who struck out a lot, and people didn't understand that a walk was as good of a hit, as good as a hit, or. Um, you know, guys who, you know, even today, Joey Votto, I, I see it from the, the Reds broadcasters, you know, Joey Votto will be up to bat with a runner on second base and Joey Votto takes a walk and he gets criticized by um, the announcers for not, you know, going for the RBI and, and sort of putting a more ag- aggressive at bat together. Um, I almost see a parallel there in terms of the way that, that we think about what we want out of our point guards, where um, we have these ideas about what they should do and, and what you know what what provides the the best offense, um, but it, we might be undervaluing 
um, other things that that some point guards can do and and some things that point guards can't. Um, and, and I guess namely shooting. Um, you know there there are less point guards in the league that can shoot than you would think. And so when you uh, don't have a point guard that can shoot, you have to find it in other places. Um, Kyrie Irving sort of gives you the ability to uh, maybe play a guy like Tristan Thompson that can't shoot. You can balance your lineup in other ways that are maybe a little bit more organic. Um, that being said, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm very wrong. I don't know, but uh, um, I would point out uh, that the Cavs did just win the NBA championship. Yeah, and I don't know if you knew this, David, but they came down. They came back from a three-one deficit. <laughs> like that. Ha- I don't know if you knew that, but uh, just just wanted to make sure you're aware that the Cavs came back from a three-one deficit and beat the Warriors. Um, but I, I think the funny, the, one of the funniest things to me about the Kyrie criticism, um, and some of it I think is because Cavs Twitter is sort of nuts and uh, gets very defensive, uh, just like other Twitters do about their players. But he's not really that dissimilar to Damian Lillard, and Damian Lillard is sort of a darling amongst uh, NBA folk. And he's—I mean—they're both—he's really good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think there's really these big differences between what Dame does and what Kyrie does. And maybe Dame's a little more economical at times. Maybe he just—it's like his persona is a little bit different. Like I know, there's all these stories about how um, he'll talk to every guy on the team and is this like great teammate. And Kyrie's sort of this more aloof human being, and I just don't think he has the time to, like, sell himself to, to people that are writing about him. Like, I mean, uh, you know, Dave McMenamin, who covers the Cat 3 ESPN, was on Richard Dietsch's podcast and was like, yeah, Kyrie Irving, like, doesn't seem need to really talk to us that much. Um, and, I, you know, maybe that affects it, too. He just doesn't have this, like, uh, thing where I think people just don't buy into him for reasons that I'm not sure it's just the way he plays because Dame is, like, this darling, and I don't think him and Kyrie are really that different. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point, and... Um... You know, I, I think Chris Towers points out all the time, you know, if you think Kyrie or Lillard, if, if one is significantly better than the other, I don't I don't necessarily know how you would sort of prove that or, or make that argument. Um, you know, I would always sort of just take Kyrie because he's younger and um, I trust his shooting a little bit more, but I'm also right about the Cavs and I'm fairly biased. But um, no, I think that's a, a very good point, especially in terms of the aloofness. Um you know, I, I think on I, I think you could also point at it the other way, and I, I sort of wrote about this before Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Um, part of the issue, part of the reason why Lillard, well, why, why I think Lillard is is sort of appreciated is this idea that nothing was handed to him. He went to Weber State and wasn't a top draft pick, and um, you know, has it, it, nobody. Nobody is under the impression that that Lillard is not maximizing his talent, right? I mean, he's sort of this underdog that um, has sort of become a star, you know, against all odds. Kyrie, the idea is that everything has been handed to him. Um, You know, he only played 11 games in college, and yet he was still the first overall pick. And he played for awful teams, and yet he still went to the All-Star game. And he never played any defense in his life, and Nike still gave him a signature shoe. And uh, he never proved he could win in a, t- uh, in a team concept, and LeBron still came back. Um, I mean, you can go on and on with this sort of thing, and um, I think it's unfair and a little ridiculous, and, and you can look at things in different ways if you want. You can say, um, you know, in order to 
become the first overall draft pick when you're six foot two uh, and you only played 11 college game that speaks to a certain level of talent um, and I also think you know Lillard was a unanimous MVP in his rookie year uh, Kyrie was not and he had Kyrie had one of the best rookie seasons of all time just in terms of efficiency and um, and also what he's really sort of meant to Cleveland so I think you can sort of push back on, on just about anything, but um, I think there is this notion that Kyrie's gotten love and appreciation that he didn't deserve. Um, and, you know, I talked to, sorry, I know I'm, I'm, I always sort of run long when we have these conversations. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's good. Um, I literally told my class today, we were talking about, um, <laughs> I teach psychology. And so we were talking about Brown versus Board of Education and the, the, the Supreme Court used psychological research in their decision. And this was like a legitimizing force for psychology. It was still sort of a new topic of study at universities, and it was a big deal that the Supreme Court would use psychological research. Um, it's silly, but um, and it does, doesn't change the player that Kyrie is on a game-to-game basis, just like Brown versus Board of Education didn't change the value of psychology on a day-to-day basis. But that shot that Kyrie made over Steph Curry, all of the arguments, can you win a title with Kyrie Irving as your point guard? Can you live with Kyrie Irving's defense when he's your point guard? Um, he's sort of been legitimized, and, and um, you can still dislike the way that he plays, um, but you sort of you, 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 there's a certain level of pushback you can do now uh, versus you know what it was like four months ago. Um, and David, before we kind of abandon this Damian Lillard, Kyrie discussion a little bit, um, I kind of think Kyrie is also in this position where, as much as I think he frustrates people, I think there's a chance he is a breakout star in the next, let's say, two years. Um, I think he's getting there already, but I think you just look at how he plays, how vine friendly he is, how well his shoes do, and the fact that he's playing on a team that's going to be playing on national TV a lot, that he's going to be playing for a title again most likely. I think he's just in a really good position to still be a star, Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that'll look like, but I think that's a very real possibility for him as long as he stays healthy and the Cavs keep winning. I mean, I think there there is a a precedent for the type of player that he is in terms of, um, you know, particularly, you know, kids liking him you know he might never be basketball twitter's favorite um but uh i'm not saying he plays the exact same way as alan iverson did um but in terms of you know the shiftiness uh their gunners um they'll shoot from wherever Kyrie's a little bit better from long range iverson's a better athlete but um you know this this sort of um and I don't think that Kyrie necessarily becomes the cultural icon that that Allen Iverson did, and hopefully not as 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 polarizing, you know, maybe off the court either. But um, you know, Allen Iverson had and has a ton of fans, and people loved the way that he played. Now there are a lot of people who didn't like the way that he played, and and I think you can sort of see that playing out as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think. You know, Kyrie, in, in terms of the NBA's collective consciousness, I, you know, it's, it's hard after these playoffs to imagine, um, you know, Kyrie not making the All Star game. You know, for example, I, I just can't see, uh, you know, him not, you know, getting a ton of votes from sort of the NBA fan base at large. 
Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I would be really surprised, you know, to, to see him not there. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And I think you're hitting something pretty clear um, about kids liking him. And we're, I'm at least caught in my head, I've seen that before from someone. I think people on Cavs Twitter would get annoyed by let me mentioning his name. <laughs> That's Ethan Sherwood Strauss from ESPN. Um, and he literally has tweeted this before that Kyrie and Curry have this thing, and, and probably Dame to an extent too. Uh, they, they don't. They're not LeBron and Durant, and they're not these like overwhelming large human beings that are freakishly athletic. Like your average kid playing basketball is probably never going to be Curry because he is very athletic, but he just looks more relatable and he plays a more relatable style. Um, I mean, it's like I always do this now that I've started writing about sneakers and caring about sneakers a little bit. I'll go somewhere, and I will always kind of see what like the thirteen or fourteen year olds. Like are like playing in or like what they're hooping in if I'm at the rack or something, and it's like mostly Curry's and it's mostly the Kyrie's, and it's to me that's sort of, and I think some of it's the price point and everything, but uh, that that's sort of interesting. It's sort of telling, I think. I I teach in a basketball crazed high school, um, like our school, it, we care about basketball a lot, and you know I I I, I took <laughs> you know I I bought some Kyrie's. Uh, I haven't done anything with them yet. Uh, they're the first basketball shoes that I've had in 15 years. But um, everybody has Kyrie's. Everybody that, that that sort of sees themselves as a basketball player in my school seems to have Kyrie's. Um, so yeah, I mean, they 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 certainly seem to be popular, you know, in terms of where I teach, which is not Cleveland. It's it's in Ohio, but um, no people people like Kyrie quite a bit. Yeah. I th- I also think there are clear ways that he can improve, which is I think sort of the most interesting part about what's to come for him and what will sort of define his trajectory. I'm probably th- I don't want to just like put myself on this pedestal of being harsh on him, but I also just I'm not a big defender of his defense over the past couple of years. A lot of it I do just think is him putting in the effort all the time. I think especially when he was younger, he wasn't always putting in the work to get past screens. Um, he wasn't always putting in the effort to really just like tr- at least passively defend a guy. Um, like I remember when uh, Spencer Hawes was on the Cavs for that little bit, and him and Kyrie were this really really good pick and roll do pick and roll and do on offense. I just remember worrying they were just going to get destroyed on defense all the time. Um, I, I just I, I think for Kyrie to sort of like become a better overall star and like just kind of hit his peak, he probably needs to be just passable on defense. I mean. Look at Curry. Curry is not by any means a lockdown defender. And if you're, I mean, if you're going to pick a guy in the Warriors to try to hunt down in the pick and roll, it would be him. Um, and with Kyrie, I think with him, it's that he has to at least get to that point. Yeah, and I just think it's how much you care about the regular season, um, because you know, I got, I, I had a lot of people really sort of question my credibility and maybe I think they were they were right uh, to a certain extent um you know I, you know how much better you know in the regular season Steph Curry is a much better defender than Kyrie Irving um it's not close I, and I don't think that I would say that it is um but you put them in a playoff series and uh you know Kyrie is putting forth maximum effort and Steph Curry is putting forth maximum effort. And that, that difference, um, becomes 
uh, much less pronounced in my opinion. So um, if you you know, are, are sort of looking for an area where I do think Kyrie can get better on a, on a game-by-game basis, it's, it's absolutely on defense. Um, I don't know how much better, you know, I'm sure he can get a bit better than what he did in the NBA Finals, and he had games in the NBA Finals where he was better than others, and you also just get lucky with, with uh, Golden State missing some shots. And um, I still think it's crazy that Golden State didn't attack Kyrie more with Draymond when they got those speeches. But 100% or, agree. Speeches, but switches. Um, I, I still don't understand that. And they did, you know, to a certain extent. And Draymond had some big games, but uh, they certainly didn't attack it consistently. Um, you know, but I also... I also I I've been sort of this big Kyrie defender, and part of the reason why I've defended Kyrie is that um, anytime you know p- people criticize Kyrie, and I say, hey, you know, he's he's still like pretty really good, and then they'll say, well, I just think he could be so much better, and I don't know that he can be a lot better. He's been in the league for five years now. Um, he wasn't great this year. He's admitted he was working himself back into shape. He like wasn't trying like as hard as he could on defense consistently um you know variance his his shot didn't go down as much he was trying different things clearly um but like if you look at what he did in the playoffs i don't know like what the next step is for him except for like maybe going to the free throw line a bit more um maybe being an, uh, an opportunistic passer uh, more at times and maybe being a smarter defender and like those are you know real things that he can get better at but I think we tend to discount how good he is right now by saying oh well you know I, I just assume he'll get better he might not get a whole lot better no, but that I, doesn't he's not like insanely good right now yeah I don't think there's actually a ton of room for him to get infinitely better on defense like I think if he's going to make an improvement on defense it's just going to be an effort thing where he isn't is easy just to attack in the pick and roll. Just be like he's not going to be like let's say Chris Paul or John Wall on defense. Like he's just never going to be that guy. Um, it's just he's not like he's not really athletic in that way. Like he's obviously very athletic, but he's not this like freak kind of long defender guy. Like he doesn't fit that mold, and it's just not really what he does. Um, I think there are ways he could get better that I can see him, like, hitting his peak. I think you saw some of that when he was playing with Team USA, and he had to be this sort of creator for others. Um, I think if you're going to nitpick him a little bit too, I think he could be better at that. I think he could be better at kind of maybe creating chaos for others instead of creating the chaos and then, like, not really taking most advantage of it. I think you could pick on him there. Um, but I also, I also agree with you. I He is really, really good right now. Um, and for my money... He is probably the fourth best point guard in the NBA. That's kind of where I yeah, think I, I mean, put him. You can ask him to set up, you know, players more often, and you know, I think that's what everybody sort of expected of him. Um, you know, especially when they got you know Kevin Love and 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 LeBron James. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, if it's doing that, that turnover rate that is minuscule. Um, you know, starts to go up, and uh, you know there, there's a there's a real trade-off there in terms of when he controls the ball. Um, it's extremely rare for him to turn it off, turn it over, um, and, and that creates a lot of value. Wasted possessions hurt, and you know you might say, well, when he's dribbling over and over and over again, that's a wasted possession. But 
at the end of the day, he's not turning it over and he's shooting efficiently. So it's not a wasted possession, even if he misses a shot that you hate. Uh, I mean, even if he misses six shots in a row, you know, if he stays at that 56, 57, 58, 59 true shooting range, I'm not going to have a problem with it. Um, and again, it gets back. I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I just thought of this tonight. I'm really excited about this analogy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the it's the on base percentage. Yeah, he might strike out a lot, but um, he also gets on base a ton and um, you know provides value. You know, pretty fairly consistently. Yeah, I think there's something to that, and I also I also think if there is going to be a time where he has to sort of blend his realities, like LeBron is obviously still great right now, but there's going to be a point where it, even if it's just him in the regular season having to do this or if it's a full-time thing, he's going to have to cede some of what he does to Kyrie. There's really no one else the Cavs have or really reasonably can get that can sort of take on some of those distribution roles. Um, you could certainly give Kevin Love more to do, and that's like a whole other rabbit hole to dive down at some point because it's just, it's just I think it has to be talked about at some point, but... Kyrie is the logical guy to do some of what LeBron does in terms of creating and initiating things and maybe carrying bench units or something. I don't really know. And I think that, to me, is sort of... if Kyrie's legacy is going to be cemented. It, it's already, in some ways, being defined because he won a title, because he hit that shot over Curry, because he has just won so many awards. But the medal of what he is and what he will become, I think, is going to be sort of solidified and kind of determined once... LeBron gets to the point where he has to just give some of what he does to Kyrie. I mean, like, that's all true, but, like, I'm looking at this. I pull this up. This is in the history of the NBA playoffs. Players that have played 10 or more games had true shooting rates over 57, turnover percentages lower than 11, and usage rates 29 or higher. Uh, and those are arbitrary numbers, but Kyrie actually meets the threshold very easily for all of them. So, for example, I used turnover percentage 11, Kyrie's was uh, 9. Um, and and uh, usage percentage, I used 29, he was over 30. Uh, the closest one is true shooting, I used 57, and, and he was at 57.4. But, I mean, he, he meets these these standards very clearly. Only 10 players in the history of the NBA have scored that efficiently in the playoffs and not turned it over at that level and also had such a large role in the offense. In the history of the NBA, only only 10 times has that happened. The first is LeBron James in 2008-2009 in terms of win shares. Michael Jordan then did it three times. And then Kyrie Irving has the, in terms, so third, he's third in terms of players fifth in terms of, of actual seasons, if you're going by win shares, which are not great, but there's 10 people. There, there, let me see how many people are on this list. There are eight people on this list. Um, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Shaquille O'Neal, Bernard King, Amare, Carl Malone, and Patrick Ewing. Um, those are arbitrary you know, numbers that I pulled out. Um, but again, I just, I just don't understand how you could have a bad offense which is where he gets so much criticism when you don't turn it over, when you shoot efficiently, and you have a large role in the offense. Um, and, and I just think, uh, you know, he would have been a deserving, uh, 
you know, NBA Finals candidate if LeBron hadn't sort of solidified himself as an all-time great player. Um, and, you know, maybe he can get a bit better on offense. Um, but I, I feel like those conversations distract us from the fact that he just did something that was insane. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And also remember, he is, I believe, one of uh, four players now with LeBron, Pippen, Jordan to uh, win a gold medal and an NBA title in the same summer. And I believe, uh, if theoretically, if he could win a gold medal in 2020 in Tokyo and if the Cavs won a title that year, he'd be the second guy ever after Pippen to do it twice. Like He's already just done these things that are just sort of crazy, and he's only, what, 24 years old. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just keep handing him stuff, and he hasn't <laughs> earned it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, the, he's the ultimate millennial, just, just uh, yeah. riding on other people's coattails. Uh, uh, David... As we look ahead to this season for Kyrie, um, and there's just, I think to me, out of the big three, he maybe isn't the most fascinating, but I think he's the one I'm kind of more, most looking forward to seeing what he does this year. Um, what do you, what do you kind of expect out of him, and is there anything you want to see out of him? Um, it's up to him, uh, and it's up to the the variance gods. You know, I I think um, if he was engaged and. Um, felt very strongly about the regular season, like maybe Steph Curry does. Um, you know, maybe you'd be pushing 60% true shooting rate. Uh, maybe you'd see better defense consistently. Um, he's very good friends with Kevin Love, so, you know, perhaps he'd sort of be interested in, in, in sort of pumping him up a little bit more. Um, but he's already kind of said, um, in terms of his Team USA performance, um, that, you know, if, if he doesn't come to camp in tip top shape, if he, if he spends, you know, uh, a bit of September off, you know, after, after having such a long season off of knee surgery and then playing for team USA, um, you know, I, I would understand that. And I think the Cavs would understand that as well. So, um, you know, I, I think it, I, I'm sure it, I'm sure he's disappointed he didn't make the All-Star game last year, so I would assume that's something that he cares about. Um, at the same time, I think the Cavs have sort of shown that um, you don't have to um, you don't have to treat the 82 games like it's uh, you know do or die. You know if, if you want to win a title. Now, you know, the Warriors are, are are a beast, and they added Kevin Love or Kevin Durant and all that, but. Um, the Cavs are as laid back of an elite team as, as you're going to find, um, even with all of the drama. So um, I don't know. I, I think he could be insanely good. Uh, I, 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 I would find it hard to believe he'd have such an up and down year as he did a year ago because I, I do think he'll want to. Yeah, that, knee, of, that knee injury yeah. last year, I think, sort of. I think, in a way, we haven't seen like an actual like Kyrie Irving like, season. Like what we actually like, it's like year three of this, and it's like the first year is that adjustment year because it's so much different playing with Kevin Love and LeBron James. Uh, and he was an All NBA player, by the way. Yeah, he was an All NBA player. Yeah, and it's it's just like that huge difference from when you're going from playing playing with you're now playing with these two guys to when uh, Dan Waiters was your co-star. Um, yeah, love shout out to Dion. Um, and then, like, last year, he literally, as you've mentioned, he was literally coming back from an injury that he suffered in the finals all year. So it's like, what do you make of that? And it's sort of complicated. Um, so I, maybe this year's the year we kind of get a proper read on how this sort of works. Um, and I, I'm pretty down for that. I'm excited about it. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really ready for basketball to get back. 
yeah, I mean, I, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I, I can only tweet so much about the Cleveland Browns, so. Yeah, it's not uh, good for your health, man. It's really not good <laughs> for your health. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to have you on the show. We'll probably have you on again before it comes in. If speaking of Browns, actually, uh, the Lockdown Podcast Network did just add uh, a Lockdown Browns podcast by Jared Mueller from the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, so you have to check that out on iTunes and Stitcher and all that. But uh, David, thanks for coming on. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, David Zavak, just D A V I D Z A V A C. Uh, just as he noted, be prepared for some Browns tweets. Um, he's, he's been taking some flack lately for, uh, comparing the Browns to the hinky 76ers, which I think is a totally apt comparison, but you know, people got to get angry about stuff online. Absolutely. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at CWM rights. You can find, uh, the podcast on Twitter at lockdown Cavs. Make sure to submit your podcast questions for our Monday mailbag there or to our email at lockdown gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, make sure you give us a rating and review and just, um, it helps other people find the show and, and all that. Um, we're also partnered with Frandrag Sports, so if you want to find our show, you can go to todaysfastbreak.com and check that out, and you'll find it on their Cavs page. Uh, you can also find the show at Fear the Sword, which, in my opinion, and I'm totally not biased, is the best Cavs blog on the internet. Um, but we'll be back on Monday. Even though it's Labor Day, we'll have a show for you to answer some Cavs questions. Um, and if everything goes right next week, I will have two guests that I'm very excited about. I'm not going to say who they are yet just because I don't have them 100% locked in, but I'm hoping they get in. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again on the next